are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. First Chronicles chapter number 17, we're going to read verse 16 down through verse number 24. And I want to show you a phrase that jumped out to me as I was studying in my Bible. And uh, we'll read it. If you're able to stand, would you stand with me? And uh, I'll read the verse quickly and let you sit back down in just a moment. First Chronicles chapter number 17, verse 16. The Bible said, And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And yet this was a small thing in thine eyes, O God, for thou hast also spoken of thy servant's house for a great while to come, and hast regarded me according to the estate of a man of high degree, O Lord God. What can David speak more to thee for the honor of thy servant? For thou knowest thy servant. O Lord, for thy servant's sake, and according to thine own heart, hast thou done all this greatness in making known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people Israel, whom God went to redeem, to be his own people, to make thee a name of greatness and terribleness, by driving out nations from before thy people, whom thou hast redeemed out of Egypt. For thy people Israel didst thou make thine own people forever, and thou, Lord, becamest their God. Let me stop and say, God has always been and always will be, but now God is made personal, he's saying. Can I say it's, we know that God is, but there needs to be a time in your life when it becomes your God, a personal God. Verse 23, Therefore now, Lord, let the thing that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house be established forever and do as thou hast said. And here's our verse. Let it even be established that thy name may be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God of Israel, even a God to Israel. Let the house of David, thy servant, be established before thee. Now, David is praising and worshiping God. And here as David offers this prayer to the Lord, he begins to brag on God and the goodness of God in the past. He talks about how good God had been to him personally, how good God had been to his nation. And I believe that as David worships God, it culminates. It climaxes, if you will, into a better understanding of who God is and what God was to David and to his nation. And I think we see that in the phrase in verse 24. The Bible says the Lord of hosts is the God of Israel. But he didn't stop there. Watch the next phrase, even a God to Israel. Can I say it's one thing to be the God of, but it's a sweet thing to know that he's also a God to for a little while this morning, I want to preach on this thought. Thank God that he's not just the God of. I'm glad he's also a God too. And I want to show you something about our God from those two little words, the word of and the word to this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for power to preach. Please speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm not real big on poetry, but let me read you this poem. It said, a careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may hate and still. A brutal word may smite and kill. A gracious word may smooth the way. A joyous word may light the day. A timely word may lessen stress. A loving word may heal and bless. You know, there's a lot of power contained in a word. 
Calvin Coolidge had a nickname, the president, Silent Cal. He chose his words very sparingly. He didn't just run his mouth. That's pretty good preaching right there. But anyway, he uh, made sure that what he was going to say needed to be said. And a lady was going to sit next to him at a dinner party, and she made a bet with one of her friends that she could get the president to say at least three words as they sat together at dinner that night. She sat next to the president, and all night long he listened. He sat there, and he ate his food, and he would drink his drink, but he didn't say a word. He just sat there with his lips sealed. Finally, that woman was a little bit frantic, thinking she would lose that bet, and she told the president, she said, Mr. President, it would be a blessing if you would say something. I, I made a bet with my friend that I could get you to say at least three words to me, and if you would just say something, say anything, that would be a blessing. And for the first time all night, he opened his mouth. He looked at her and said, you lose. <laughs> you see, words matter. What somebody says or what somebody writes carries within it much importance. By the way, that's why you ought not be an idiot on social media. Say amen right there. Words can affect emotions. Words can provide or deny rights. Words can cause wars. Words have shaped nations and changed the destiny of countries. Throughout history, words have sparked major events. I think about these words. These are good words. Give me liberty or give me death. Here's some good words. I like these. Unalienable rights. Here's some good words I do. Some of you fellows should have shouted right there. Uh, most church members like this phrase, in closing. Huh? Probably the best words ever strung together are these three words. It is finished. You see, words matter. Not just big words, but even small words can contain within them massive amounts of importance. If you take just one word and move it around in a phrase, it can change the entire connotation, the entire meaning of what is being expressed. For example, I'd much rather be a thin skater on ice than skating on thin ice. Hello? I'd much rather you say Brother Cooper is late than call me the late Brother Cooper. It does matter. Words are important. So you supplement just one word, whether it's full of syllables or just two letters. It's very important words matter. Now, every word in our Bible is perfectly positioned by the hand of God. Every word in our Bible is inspired and been preserved for us here inside the covers of the Bible so that you and I can better know the person, the greatness, and the will of our God. Can I say the Bible is not like other books? Other books are given for information, but this book can absolutely transform your life. The Bible is not simply a history book but it does tell us how everything began. The Bible's not a science book, but it tells us from which all things come from and how they consist and exist. The Bible's not just an inspirational book. It's better than Hallmark, but it will meet every need that you have in your life at every season of life. This book is the very Word of God. And because it's the Word of God, every word in this book is just as important as the next. It doesn't matter if it's full of letters or just two little letters. Every word in the Bible is important. In fact, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So with that in mind this morning, I want us to pay attention to two little words. The first is the word of, and the second is that word to. And here's our phrase, the, God, the Lord of hosts is the God of Israel, even a God to Israel. 
Now, in 1 Chronicles 17, David is, have, begins with the desire to build a house for the Lord. God had been good to David. And because of that, David desired to build something to the glory of God. And can I say that you and I ought to have a desire to build something for the glory of God as well. You ought to have a desire to build a family, build a marriage, build a Sunday school, build a bus route, build a church. God has been good. And we ought to have a desire to do something for the glory of God. Now, God tells David through Nathan the prophet that he would not build a house for him. But rather, God is going to establish David's house forever. Now, can I say, God is good, is he not? God is going to bless David, and he'll use David's seed to build a house for the Lord. Now, when you come to the text that we read together, David is praising and worshiping God. Now, don't let those words make you nervous. Praise and worship. It is okay. Can I say that God's people have been praising and worshiping God before there ever was a compromising, charismatic, contemporary church? Amen. Send that to your mother and say happy Mother's Day. But anyway, can I say that praise and worship is a biblical thing. God is worthy of our praise and he deserves our worship. And by the way, you can tell counterfeit praise and worship from the real thing. Counterfeit praise and worship draws attention to the worshiper. Real praise and worship draws attention to the one who deserves the worship. And here David is worshiping God. He worships God in the light of who he is. He examines himself in the light of the glory of God. And it causes his heart to cry out, there's no God like our God. God has been good. God has been good to our nation. God has been good to me personally. There's no God like the God of Israel. Now, I believe that as you read this prayer, David is growing a little bit. I believe a change takes place, maybe a transition in understanding. I believe that David comes to a clear understanding of just who God is as he worships God in this prayer. In verse number 24 and 23 together, he repeats the promise that God had made to him. He reminds himself God would establish the house of David forever. But then in verse 24, he makes this statement, a statement that reveals a transition or a better comprehension of God in the heart and mind of David. Now, I believe that David could have made the first part of this statement right out of the gate. I mean, just saved a young man. He could have made the first part of the statement. But I don't think David could make the second part of the statement until he had tried God and found him true, trusted God and watched him come through, leaned on God and found that God could be trusted. The first part of the statement is this, the Lord of hosts is the God of Israel. Now, isn't it amazing how two people can look at one thing and get two totally different ideas? Aren't you married? Hello? It's like the fella, he was driving down a country road and he saw an old man sitting on a fence. He thought, that's peculiar. He made a lap around a mile or so, came back around. The man was on the fence. He thought, that's strange. He rode back around a third time. The man was still sitting on the fence. He said, that is just weird. So he put down his window and said, fellow, you're pathetic. All you do is sit on fences and stare at cars. And that man said, I don't think we're much different. All you do is sit in the car and stare at fences. Can I say that's just how it is? But here David is looking at one God, and there's two understandings of this one God. The first phrase, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is a good statement, a true statement, an accurate statement, but it's sort of a cold statement. It's a little bit of a distant statement. That doesn't really separate our God from every other little g false God known to man. Can I say that's a good, a true statement. God is the God 
of Israel. Every terrorist needs to know that. Every politician needs to know that. Every anti-Semite needs to know that. Jehovah God is, always will be the God of Israel. But that doesn't separate him. Can I say the Egyptians had the gods of the Egyptians? The Assyrians had the gods of the Assyrians. Uh, I would say that most nations, most religions and cults would have the gods they could say, that is the god of that respective religion or cult or group. That doesn't separate our God. But David goes further. He doesn't stop there. He comes to a truer understanding of God and he takes it further and deeper. And he said, he's not just a God of, he's even a God to Israel. Now, can I say the false gods have to stop at being a God of? They can't survive the transition from of to two. They perish in that gulf. They can't span the divide. They can be a God of, set up in worship, but they can't return adoration. They can't uh, return affection. They can't return love. They can be a God of, but David said, that's not our God. He's more than just a God on a throne, aloof and distant, a God who doesn't know and a God who doesn't care. He survives the transition of being not just a God of, he's also a God to Israel. Being a God of speaks of ownership. Being a God to speaks of relationship. Being a God of speaks of authority. Being a God to speaks of affection. I'll say it like this. The God of can hear prayer, but a God to wants to answer. The God of might have the supply, but a God to wants to meet your need. The God of will sit upon a throne, but the God to wants to walk with his people. And David's declaring that the God that Israel worshipped and the God that he would extol wasn't some distant deity or some out-of-touch entity veiled in eternity, wrapped in some obscurity, sitting on a throne that man can never touch, that had no love and had no care and had no mercy. He said, that's not our God. Our God's better than your God's Egypt. Our God's better than your God's Assyria. Our God's not like those dead gods made with the hand of man. He's a real, loving, long-suffering God. He's a God to Israel. A dead God carved with man's hands can be worshipped. That pulpit could be our God if we wanted to. We could worship that pulpit. We could tithe to that pulpit. We could pray to that pulpit. But that pulpit would never love. That pulpit would never answer. That pulpit would never embrace. That pulpit would never meet a need. It could be a God of, but it can't be a God to. Can I say, our God this morning does not just exist in the of realm. Thank God he's also a God to you and I. You say, what's that mean? That means he's a personal God. He's a loving God. He's a God who cares for his people. A child doesn't just want a father of, they want a father too. A wife or a husband doesn't want just a spouse of, they want a spouse too. A church does not just want a preacher, a pastor of, they want someone who'll be a pastor too. And can I say that two is deeper, two is higher, two goes beyond of. Of speaks of authority, I'll say it again, two speaks of affection. Of speaks of judgment. Two speaks of compassion. Of speak, uh, speaks of being present but distant. Two says he's present and he's very near. And as David examined how good God had been, God had brought him from obscurity to prominence, from the shadows to the throne of Egypt. His heart begins to spring up and the well overflows his threshold. And he said, boy, our God is even a God to Israel. Now that might not help you this morning. And by the look at some of y'all, it doesn't help you a bit. 
But that helps me a little bit this morning to know that my God's a God that cares, amen? I'm glad my tears are not wasted. My prayers are not futile. I'm glad that my service is not an exercise that is wasted, but I've got a God that has ears open to me and hands that are outstretched and eyes that see and a heart that beats for me. You might feel like nobody knows and nobody cares and nobody understands. And if you look low, that might be true, but there's a God in heaven who's a God of and a God to you and I. It's sort of like the, uh, the illustration, a little prince was playing with a friend in the palace, and as they ran down the halls, they're throwing a ball back and forth. And one of the boys dropped the ball, and it rolled into the throne room where the king was, and the boy said, oh, man, we've lost the ball. And his friend said, I'll get it. They said, you better not go in there. Let me go in there. He said, you better not go in there either. The king's in there. He said, don't forget, he might be the king, but he's also my father. And can I tell you something? I'm glad that he's more than just the King of kings and Lord of lords, so that is great. I'm glad he's also our heavenly Father. We don't have a God with deaf ears or blinded eyes. He's a God to us. Can I say Buddha cannot be that? Allah cannot be that. The idols of the jungle cannot be that. They can only be the gods of, but they cannot be a God too. Our God is a living God. Our God is a loving God. Our God is a long-suffering God. Our God is a compassionate God. Adam found a God even too. Noah found a God even too. I think about Jacob. He had a God even too. Our God is the God who saw Noah's righteousness. Our God is the God who heard Elijah's prayer. Our God is the God who comforted Job in the ashes. Our God's the God who supplied the needs of the widow woman. Our God's the God who was there with Daniel in the den of lions. Our God's the God that was there with Paul in prison and John on Patmos. And like Paul testified, he said, I'm unknown and yet well known. And that's our testimony this morning. The world might look down on us and even say they don't matter, but there's a God in heaven who knows all about it. Even a God too. Let me give you a few things here and we'll be through. Three things that I see David understood that helped him come to verse number 24's realization. Three things that took place. Number one, God regarded him. Look at verse number 17. And yet this was a small thing in thine eyes, O God, for thou hast also spoken of thy servant's house for a great while to come. Watch what it says. And hast regarded me according to the estate of a man of high degree, O Lord God. David is looking backward. And as David looked back, back, looks back on what he was and realizes where he was and who he was and then considers what God had done in his life, it causes that adoration, that love for God to overflow and overwhelm. And he cries out and realizes God saw me when nobody else did. God cared when nobody else knew. God saw the potential when everybody else thought I could do nothing. And God has brought me from the lowest of the low and he's exalted me. And as he sees that, he cries out and says, Oh God, he's even a God to me. I've been on his mind. I've been in his heart. God knows where I am. Can I say you might be here this morning and you feel like God is distant and God doesn't care, but can I say the Bible refutes that? Because it said he's even a God too. It's amazing. Every one of you here today, you're on God's radar. He's got a lot going on. He's upholding the galaxy with his hand. He knows every sparrow in every tree, every tune it's tweeting, what key it's tweeting to tune in. He knows every hair that falls off your head. But he also knows every need, every burden, every care, every worry. Here's every prayer. Thank God he's in my hospital room, but he'll meet with you in yours too. Hello. He can be with us when we're grieving over our lost loved ones, but he can be with you when you're grieving over the loss of a loved one too. He's with us when we have a prayer that we need answered, but thank God he's there to hear your prayer when you have a prayer that you need answered. He regards us. He sits high in the heavens, but thank God his heart beats for us here on earth. We can sing the song, and it's true. What a friend we have in Jesus. 
all our sins and grief to bear. He's a wonderful Savior to me. Mine, Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. I saw it the other day when I was studying my Bible in the morning. Consider, he said, consider the sparrows and the lilies and all these things. Think about it. If God knows the sparrows and God knows the lilies and God names the stars, how much more does he care for his children? He regarded me. I thank God that he pays attention to us. Amen. Don't despair. Don't doubt and be discouraged. God knows all about it. George Mueller, the old preacher, used to have a motto on his desk. It said, it matters to him about you. And if you don't get anything else to take home with you today, that'd be a good thing to stick in your back pocket. It does. It matters to him about you. Number one, the word regard. Number two is the word revelation. How did David know that God was a God too? Revelation, look at verse number 19. O Lord, for thy servant's sake, and according to thine own heart, hast thou done all this greatness, now watch this phrase, in making known all these great things. How did David come to understand who God was and what God was and what God could do? Here's how God told him. How did David have this understanding of how great God was and how good God was? Because God had revealed himself unto David. God had spoken it. God had given him his word. God had shown David. It had been passed down from generation to generation. He had God's word on it. He had revelation. Now, this morning, here's the problem. Most Christians are discouraged and defeated and bitter and broken, whatever. They're just on the sidelines in the battle. And here's the problem. Usually, they're not even reading their Bible. And they're discouraged because they're focused in on Fox News or CNN or something like that or Facebook or whatever, and they don't spend any time in their Bible at all. There's no wonder you walk in here half depressed and trying to make the rest of us join in. Say amen right there. I mean, you come to church and haven't read the Bible. When I read my Bible, I found out the greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. And here I read, the, I read in the scripture, David said, boy, he's a good God, a personal God, a loving God. How do you know, David? He told me how good he is. God could have done this. He could have created the world. He could have put the land together, put the grass on the dry ground. He put, put the seeds there, made the animals, made man, stepped back and said nothing. And let man wander through life with just this giant enigma off there somewhere in eternity, not knowing how to get to God or if there was one. But God said, I don't want to do that. I want to do more than create man. I want to interact. I want to fellowship. I want to walk with man. So what did he do? God, by the Holy Ghost of God, moved the hands of men. And he had them write exactly what God wanted written down. And all these men spanning different generations from different areas of the world with different backgrounds penned a book that's in perfect unity and perfect harmony. Why? That we might know God and we might have a clear understanding of who he is. You go to churches and people testify and say, God's good. How do you know? I'm glad he answers prayer. How do you know? I'm glad he saves sinners. How do you know? Thank God for heaven. How do you know there's a place called heaven? Hello. Because he told us so. There's never been a pulpit spoke yet. Hello. There's never been a statue that spoke yet. There's never been a man-made image, an idol that's spoken yet. And yet the God of gods, the God of creation has spoken to us in his word. Thank God wonderful things. I said the other day in the Bible I read, but this is the dearest that Jesus loved me. One man said, God has condescended to become an author, and few men will read the book he wrote. How do you know he's a God, too? Because every time I open up this book, I find that he wrote something just for me. 
And every need I have, every question, every spot in life, I find a principle, a promise, wisdom, inspiration, correction, whatever I need here in the Bible. All right, I want to get through this so I can get to the last point quickly. Number one, the word is regard. He paid attention to David. He knew David. Number two, revelation. He spoke to David. Our God is not distant. This is not some cold, casual thing. He wants to be a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Number three, David, how would you come to that realization? He's putting pieces to a puzzle together that put together the picture of this kind of a God. And here's the third piece. The word is redemption. Look at verse 21. The Bible said, And what one nation in the earth is like thy people Israel, whom God went to, watch the word, redeem, to be his own people, to make thee a name of greatness and terribleness by driving out nations from before thy people, whom thou hast, watch the word again, redeemed out of Egypt. So this is the final piece of truth that David puts together to get this picture of who our God is. David goes back to a former day when his people were not free. They were in bondage. They were not at liberty. They were in captivity. Their life was not light. Their life was darkness. Their back had been riven by the whip of the taskmaster. They were slaves to Pharaoh making bricks for him. Their life was hard and their life was miserable and it seemed like all hope is gone. But he remembered God made a way when it looked like there was no way. Their story did not end in captivity. Their story did not end in bondage. They did not die making bricks for Pharaoh in Egypt, but God with his strong arm came and redeemed his people. He set them free. And as David thought about the fact that they once were in chains, but now they're not. They once were in bondage, but now they're not. They used to be in darkness, but that now they're not. He began to cry out, oh, I'm glad that's not our God. He's not like your God, Egypt. He's not like your God, Assyria. Your God can't deliver, but thank God he can deliver. Our God has redeemed I'd say David began to sing, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Now let me call time out and make this statement. I believe, listen, let the false gods stand upon their man-made pedestals. Let their followers bow down before their cold, unresponsive images. Their images that cannot touch and cannot feel and cannot love. But you and I should shout till we have no more voice that our God's a God that gave his life for you and I. We once were in darkness. We once were in chains. We once were in bondage, but thank God he set us free. I'm not going to hell today. I'm not going to a place without God today. Why? Because of redemption. You hear this morning and say, I just don't know if God cares. Why don't you go to Calvary? I just don't think he loves. Well, go to Calvary. That word redemption means to atone for a mistake. Can I say, if you read this Bible, there's a big mistake made in Genesis. Adam and Eve sinned. And because Adam and Eve sinned, they passed the sin nature down through the bloodstream and every man born in this world, every human inherits a sin nature. Sinners by birth, by choice, by nature, we're sinners. And because of our sin, we can never get to where God is. Lost and undone without God or his son, separated for all eternity. All our goodness is as filthy rags. Our righteousness is worthless in the sight of God. And if you're this morning and you're trusting anything other than what I'm about to preach on, you're not going to get there. Because there's nothing you can do. Hopeless as were the Israelites in Egypt. But thank God, while that cloud of condemnation hovered on the horizon of man, the sun shone through. And God, in the fullness of time, sent forth his son, right? Made of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem them that were under the law. The blood of bulls and goats cannot atone. A temporal sacrifice yields a temporal atonement. So what was it? It was the blood of Jesus as he hung on that cross. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. 
Think about the poem, John Newton, and evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, until new objects struck my sight and ended my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood. He lifted his languid eyes on me as near as cross I stood. Sure, never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt, and it plunged me to despair. I saw my sin, his blood had shed, and helped to nail him there. But a second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom pay. I die that thou mightst live. You came in this morning thinking, well, God doesn't know. God doesn't care. God is cold and distant. Can I say that's not the God of the Bible? He's not like the gods of the world. He's a real God, a compassionate God, a God who cares for his people. Maybe you're here this morning and you needed to hear that. Maybe financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually, a family thing, you're going through it, and you didn't hear God regards his people. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Revelation. Get a little bit depressed, discouraged. Open your Bible. It reminds us we're on the winning side. Number three, redemption. The fact we're not going to hell tells us we have a God in heaven who loves us this morning. If you're this morning and trusting in anything other than Jesus, can I say that's not good enough? It's Jesus alone. He died for you on the cross. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.